Amen. Praise the Lord that the Lord is our firm foundation. Before we open up God's Word this morning, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you uh, extremely grateful, eternally grateful for the finished work of Christ. Lord, as we uh, turn our attention to your Word this morning, as we open up uh, Psalm 119 again, Lord, we, uh, we ask that you would open our eyes, and Lord, that you would enlarge our hearts to the beauty and the power that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that in Christ and only in Christ can the dead be raised. We are thankful that in Christ and only in Christ can those who are alive truly live the abundant life that you have given to us and secured for us in Christ Jesus. So Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit of God go before us. Again, open our eyes and enlarge our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to uh, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Uh, We'll specifically be looking at verses 25 through 32 this morning. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a Bible there. I would ask that you open up to page 569, 569. We are going to continue our uh, teaching series through the book, or this particular chapter, uh, Psalm 119. And uh, as you know, it is a very large chapter. It's 176 verses long. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, But I love the beauty of God's Word and how God in His wisdom uh, laid out this particular chapter specifically because it is broken into uh, 22 different stanzas, eight verses each. Uh, This is a poem uh, that the psalmist uh, wrote. Uh, We don't know exactly who the psalmist is. It could be David, it could be Daniel, it could be Hezekiah, it could be Ezra. We, We don't know exactly, but we do know that God's Word is at the central theme of this particular chapter because it occurs uh, 98% of the time in every verse. uh, In 98% of the verses, there is a uh, direct reference to the Word of God. And as we have done each time in our teaching series, as we've looked at that Hebrew letter that is associated with that stanza, because that stanza not only is associated with one letter in the Hebrew alphabet, but each verse in that particular stanza begins with that same letter. And so this morning, uh, you'll see on the screen there, the word or the Hebrew letter is Dalit. Uh, that is the, uh, the fourth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And if you r- really look at it, uh, it, the picture or the symbol that is used for this particular letter expresses a door or a way of entry. And so if you can uh, put yourself back uh, thousands of years ago and everybody living in tents, uh, when you go through a tent, you open it up, right? And so that is the picture that we have here is the, the word of God is a door or an entrance, right? And we, we understand this. Uh, Because when we think about uh, our relationship with the Lord, uh, Jesus himself talks about him being the door. Uh, This is mentioned twice in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 7 and verse 9. The scripture says that that in order to enter into that relationship, uh, we have to receive the word, right? God, Jesus Christ is the word. He is the logos. Uh, But not only that, as a follower of Christ, here's what we also understand concerning the word and that being a door, it's God's word is the door or the entryway in how we do what? How we live life. Uh, because God has given us a plan. God has given us his will. And so the word of God really is uh, the door or the entrance into the way that we live. And the reality is we're faced with two doors every single day of our life, right? Uh, one door is the entrance into the things of the world, Right? You, you choose the way of the world, and guess what? The way of the world will influence the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you talk, right? But then there's also another door that is given to us as a choice. 
Every day we have a choice. Are we going to enter into the door of the world or are we going to enter into the door of the word? And when we turn our attention to the word of God, when we choose daily to enter into that door, guess what? The word of God influences the way that we think, the way that we act, uh, the way that we uh, respond to situations. And here's what I love about this particular uh, stanza, this psalm that we're going to look at, this part of the psalm that we're looking at this morning uh, in verses 25 through 32. The psalmist really gives us a very vulnerable picture of himself, right? We see the psalmist expressing to us a season in life where he has been choosing to enter into the wrong door, to allow the, the wrong door to be opened time and time again and the influences of the world to impact his life. And we see the process that he goes through in order to Choose to close that door and choose to open up the door of God's word that brings life into his life. And so we really get an amazing picture of what this looks like. So let's read the scripture uh, real quick and then we'll begin to unpack it. Psalm uh, 119 verses 25 through 32, the psalmist says, My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. And so this morning, we're going to look at four observations that the the psalmist gives to us uh, in in a way that he closes the door of the world, the the world that he's been choosing to live by and and choosing now to live by the word of God. And this is important for us because maybe you're here this morning and if you're just brutally honest, you've been choosing the ways of the world. And this message is for you. There is hope when we turn back to the Lord. And maybe you're here this morning and, and by just God's amazing grace, your ultimate influence in life is the word of God. Praise God for that. But if you ever find yourself wandering from the word, let today's message be a place that you can go back to and see the process that the psalmist takes in order to reestablish the right door, the word of God in his life. And so there's four observations that we're going to unpack this morning. The first one is we see honest confession honest confession. Notice where we find the psalmist at the beginning of this particular passage. The first part of verse 25, the scripture says, my soul clings to the dust. The psalmist is in a place of great desperation. He's in a low place, a valley, if you will. Why? Because of his sin. And the picture of his soul clinging to the dust is the picture of a life without power. And that word clings is very important because it's the same word that is used in Genesis 2.24 when the scripture talks about a marriage between a man and a woman. The scripture says in Genesis 2.24, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave or hold fast or cling to his wife and they shall be one flesh. So the psalmist experienced a season in his life where he's choosing to cling, choosing to cleave to the things of this world, the things of this world that promise great fulfillment in life, but in the end, it leaves us what? It leaves us lifeless. It leaves us powerless. It leads us in a place of great desperation. So the psalmist here, he's weak, he's empty, he's powerless, and here's the scary thing about the influences of this world. They are so, so attractive, aren't they? They're so, so alluring to us but they're very destructive. And for the psalmist, the scripture says that his, his soul is clinging to the dust. 
body, mind, and spirit. It's broken. He's powerless to change it on his own. But notice in his honest confession, he chooses to open the door to the one who can. Second part of verse 25, it says, Give me life according to, or, toward your, to, according to your word. The phrase, give me life, is, is a phrase that communicates urgent force. The psalmist is acknowledging that he is in a season of lifelessness, and he turns to the Lord. He pleads to the Lord to revive his life again. Lord, will you cause my spirit to live again? Lord, let me experience again the abundant life that you have for me. Yes, Lord, I have wandered from your way. Yes, Lord, I have chosen to open the door to the things of this world, and the things of this world have impacted me greatly, have left me powerless in this life. But Lord, I plead with you to restore my life again. It's a picture that we see in Ezekiel 37 when the valley of dry bones, a nation dead, not physically, but the way that they live. They're dead. And, and the scripture says that the Lord was going to breathe life into their lungs again. And that's what the psalmist is crying out here. The psalmist is pleading, pleading for the Lord to renew his life. And notice that the renewed life hinges on God's word. Lord, breathe life back into my life again according to what? According to your word. God's word is needed for your revival. So when you experience a season in your life where you're without power, without life because of choosing the things of the world, guess what? It's the word of God that brings about the revival. To the wanderer, if you want to experience life again, God's word is 100% necessary in your life. The psalmist, honest confession, he says, I lay it all before you. But he's laying every card on the table. Notice what he says in verse 26. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. So the psalmist here, he's pouring out his heart before the Lord. He's being honest before the Lord. He's holding nothing back. Not because the Lord needed to know what was true about him, but the psalmist needed to acknowledge what was true about him. In his wandering, the psalmist is letting everything out. He's exposing the deep crevices of his soul, the things that are causing him to wander away from the Lord. Lord, I have chosen to open the door of greed in my life. I have chosen to open the door of lust in my life, lying and selfishness. And here's the ways that I've done it. So you have this honest confession from the Lord. And in that honest confession, you just have to know that he's saying, this is how I've harmed myself. This is how I've harmed other people. And this is how I've dishonored your great name. And his, in his confession, he's recounting all his sinful decisions before the Lord. And this is what's important for us as followers of Christ. Confession of your sin to the Lord is good for your soul. It is good for your soul. In fact, we see a picture of this uh, from David's perspective in Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. The scripture says, uh, and so this is the psalmist talking, uh, David talking. He says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. In other words, that guilt of that sin has been removed. It's been taken away. Whose sin is covered. In other words, God's grace covers our shame. And then David continues in verse 2. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, my record of sin has been completely wiped clean. Praise God for that, right? But this isn't where David landed all the time. Verses 1 and 2 are a huge praise, a huge celebration. But notice what happened in verse 3 and 4. Before he came clean, before he laid his cards on the table, the scripture says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up 
as by the heat of the summer. And so for David specifically, there was a season in his life where he's choosing to open the door of the world into his life, the influences in his life, and we know it led him far from the Lord. And in the midst of that, there, there was no confession, no first full confession, no honest confession. And a result of that, because of that deep conviction of that sin, that unrepented sin, unconfessed sin, his bones are wasting away and his strength was being dried up. He was living a life that was powerless. But in honest confession, David says this in verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So yes, there was a season where he was opening the door of the world into his life and not being honest about it. But then there was a season where he turned back to the Lord and the scripture says that the Lord forgave him of his iniquity. In other words, the Lord released him from the heavy burden of his sin. And I love what the psalmist says in chapter 19, verse, or 119, verse 26. He says, when I told you of my ways, you answered me. And those are words of grace. I mean, there's not many people in your life where you can lay the full cards on the table and they still answer you. In fact, we're so accustomed to when we're honest about what's happening, we're afraid that they're never going to talk to us again. And here's the Lord. The psalmist lays out the sinfulness of his heart, an honest confession to the Lord of Lords, God Almighty, the great I am, the one who is perfect and righteous and just. And the scripture says, he, he answered me. And do you see the grace that's found here? That he answered me. The psalmist wanted the influence of his life to be the word of God. His honest confession leads to, teach me your statutes. And I ask you, have you been honest in your confession today? I mean, have you been honest before the Lord? Not because he needs to know, but because you need to acknowledge your ways. And there you will find that he will answer you. More than anything else, more than your service, more than your giving, more than your sacrifice, the Lord wants your heart. David writes in Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. If I, if I could give a million things to you, Lord, I would do it. If that's what would make it right, if that's what would make my heart be healed again. Those are the things that I would do. He says, you will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Listen, if you're going to choose to open up the door of God's word into your life, meaning that you're going to close the door of the world in your life, there has to be honest confession. Second observation that we see is a desire for change, a desire for change. In verses 27 through 29, the psalmist expresses four or three areas where he desires change. One is an understanding. Understanding, he says in verse 27, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. And I love that phrase, make me understand. In other words, the psalmist is saying what? I'm, I'm stiff-necked. I'm hard-headed. Got any of those today? The psalmist says, don't stop. Don't stop until I get it, until I get it. Lord, I don't want to just know your word. I want to understand how it applies to my life. So it's not just this intellectual of 
of retaining God's word. It's how does, I want to understand how it applies to my life. Lord, I need you to teach me how to put your word into practice. And when the Lord teaches the psalmist how to apply his word to his life, the result is what? I will meditate on your wondrous works. Lord, I see how your word applies to my life. Lord, I see how your, Lord, how your word brings about abundant life to me. He says, let me cherish that word. And one of the areas that I think we need to continually grow as followers of Christ in understanding God's word is how we deal with temptation, right? Temptation in and of itself is not a sin, right? If that's the case, then Jesus sinned, and we know that Jesus is perfect. However, it's where we go to in the midst of that temptation that will define either A, that we are going to commit sin or not or we're going to be not commit sin. And here's the reality. When it comes to understanding God's word and how we apply God's word in the midst of temptation, we need to understand that we need to prepare for battle. Every day, we must prepare for battle. Temptation is a battle, and it's a battle that we cannot win on our own. How many of y'all agree with that? You cannot win it on your own. So we daily need to remove pride from our lives. Concerning this temptation, this how we fight temptation, how we battle temptation, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is speaking. He says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. In other words, stop living prideful. Stop living like you can do it on your own, right? That's what God's word is teaching us. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, every single one of us experiences temptation, right? Every single one of us. We are not immune from it. And then the scripture says, In the midst of that temptation, the scripture says, God is what? He is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. In other words, God takes the initiative to make sure that he, that you can be seen through that temptation. In other words, that you will be able to endure it without sinning. The scripture says, but with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And what is the way of escape? What is the means by which we can endure temptation in life? It is found in the grace of God. In other words, you're not alone in the battle. He is with you. God will not let, any, not let anything come to you without his pr- approval. And not just his approval, but he will give you the resources necessary to endure it, to walk through it. Rely on his strength. The way of escape is found in the grace to endure it. I love uh, a one writer. Uh, her name is Annie Johnson Flint, Christian writer, uh, 1866 to 1932. So way before our time, right? Uh, she says this, I love it, just let it soak to you. It says, Give, uh, he giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto man. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Do you understand the storehouse of God's grace that is at your disposal even in the midst of your temptation? So the psalmist expresses honest confession. He also expresses a desire for change in his understanding and also a desire to change in his strength. Look at verse 28. He says, My soul melts away for sorrow and strengthen 
me according to your word. Uh, the phrase, my soul melts, is the same phrase that we saw in uh, Psalm 22, verse 14, speaking of Jesus when uh, he was on the cross uh, experiencing the full wrath of, of God because of our sin. It says that his soul was uh, melting away, and, and his soul is melting away because he's experienced the wrath of God because of our sin, but here uh, the psalmist is experiencing the sorrow of his own sin, right? Uh, he has spent a season in his life choosing to cling to the things of the world and not the word of God. And the picture here is the psalmist is, uh, is in such mourning over his sin that the anguish in his soul is being poured out and he's beginning to become exhausted. And notice what the psalmist's plea is. Strengthen me according to your word. Lord, the medicine that I need, the hope that I need is found in the word of God, not in the things of this world. In my sorrow over my sin, let me be strengthened according to your word. And I love the word strengthen here because it, it uh, communicates a uh, power to arise again, power to be uh, reestablished, power to become uh, alive again. And, and one of the places that we see this, uh, the same word used is in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus' power is on full display. Uh, he, he heals a, 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 an individual that is possessed by demons. Uh, he encounters a, a woman who uh, had a chronic uh, illness for over 12 years, and uh, he heals her, and then he uh, comes face-to-face with a young girl who is dead. A young girl who is dead. And what does the Scripture say? In Mark 5, 41, the Scripture says, taking her by the hand. That, that word taking there it talks about power being exchanged here. He said to her, teletai kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. That's the word strength there, arise. And in verse 42, which I don't have it on the screen, but listen to what happens. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. In other words, when God speaks, things begin to happen, right? And so the psalmist says, I'm in a place of great weakness. I need strength again. That's my desire to change. I want strength again. Oh, that we would learn to live in the strength that God has given to us, not our own. And then part of that desire to change is, comes in the form of living rightly, living rightly. The psalmist says in verse 29, put false way far from me and graciously teach me your law. The phrase put false ways away from me means purge my heart. Purge my heart from the things that cause me to wander from, from who you are. Lord, I don't want to just be forgiven in life. I want my life to be changed, right? And I think we sell the glory of God short when all we do is want to live life like we're forgiven. Yes, praise God for that. Listen, I want to live my life like I'm actually changed. And that's what the psalmist says. I want to live my life like I'm actually changed. Lord, I have pursued lies. Lord, now I desire to follow you. Lord, graciously teach me your word. Teach me your ways. In other words, there has to be an honest evaluation. If there is truly going to be a desire for change, there has to be an honest evaluation. And we see this in Psalm 139 uh, when David gets to the end of his prayer. Uh, He says this at the conclusion in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. In other words, Lord, investigate me, right? Turn over every rock that possibly needs to be turned over. You expose to me what needs to be exposed. In, in, in my places of deceit, my places of wandering, in my places of lust, unrighteous anger, selfishness, pride, bitterness, all those different things. Lord, you search me and you know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous away in me. In other words, test me, expose those areas, reveal to me what you see and lead me in a way of everlasting. In other words, Lord, I choose to submit to you. Why? Because that is where I'm going to find my life. Lord, you are my great shepherd. And so there's this honest prayer 
uh, that David gives in Psalm 139. And it's a reminder to us that part of that confession of sin, honest confession of sin, and that desire to change is where we truly get life, right? In John, First uh, John 1, 9, the scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to what? To cleanse us from all righteousness. In other words, when our sins have been cleaned, it gives way to righteous living. It gives, to, gives way to right living. And so there's a desire, uh, to be honest, a desire for change, and third, renewed commitment. Renewed commitment. The psalmist says in verses 30 and 31, he says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. Three times the psalmist communicates this renewed commitment. How does he do so? He says, I have chosen, I set, I cling. So think about the first phrase. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I love the word chosen because it's, it's a word that also describes uh, the firstborn child, right? This is the chosen child. In other words, the, the psalmist is saying, I am choosing to put God first in my life. This is a choice that he has to make. In other words, your life with the Lord is not automatic, right? You have to choose daily to live for the Lord. The word of God must be a choice that you go to for the compass of your life, the direction of your life, the GPS of your life when you get off track. This reminds me of Joshua in the, in the Old Testament. Towards the end of his life, uh, he says in uh, chapter 24, verse 14 and 15, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served be, beyond the, the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And then he says something interesting. Listen to what he says in verse 15. He says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods who your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods and the Amorites and those land you dwell. That's a pretty powerful statement. If you think it's sinful to serve the Lord, then you need to choose right now what God, what false God you're going to choose to serve. And what he's doing is he's giving them a historical lesson. He's going back into the history of God's people. And he's reminding them, listen, in, in our travels as the people of God, everywhere we've gone, we've been faced with the temptation and the conflict of following false gods. And every time we've chosen to depart from the Lord God Almighty, and we've chosen to go after these false gods, guess what? We've been held in captivity. It says, you, you choose. If you think following the Lord is not a good plan, then you choose the false god that you want to follow, and guess what? It's going to lead to captivity every time, and that's when he says these words, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The psalmist, too, is choosing the way of faithfulness and setting the Lord's rules before him, and he's clinging to the promises of God. He's choosing to set his life on the promises of God. And it's the promises of God that really give birth to the foundation of our life. When the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, he's talking about foundations of Christian living in Colossians 3. And this is where he anchors it. He anchors it in the promises of God. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, he says, If then, or since you have been raised with Christ, in other words, our eternity in Christ is secured, that changes the way I live. How does it change the way I live? He says, Seek. The things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, it changes the, what our heart dwells on. Set our, your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And the promises of God remind us with what? That our sin has been dealt with. The promises of God remind us that everything we need for this life, a, a life of godliness, is found in him. And what an amazing transformation that the psalmist has encountered. The psalmist is clinging to the dust of the earth, and now he's clinging to the promises of God. 
That's a great transition, right? What amazing transformation that the psalmist has given to us just in these short verses. So we have honest confession, desire to change, renewed commitment, and that leads to freedom in life. Freedom in life. That's where everything is going. Freedom in life. Verse 32. He says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you what? When you enlarge my heart. No longer am I clinging to the dust. No longer is my soul melting in sorrow. No longer am I living in the false ways. But now I am living free in the ways of the Lord. Man, you just picture a a brother or sister in Christ with great joy. Why? Because they're running free in the ways of the Lord. The author of Hebrews speaks of this in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, The scripture says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that's pointing us back to Hebrews chapter 11, where we see uh, many Old Testament saints who were faithful in the Lord, people like Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Joshua, Rahab, uh, Samuel. And the scripture says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, if we're going to run the race that God has set before us, if we're going to choose daily to open the door of God's word that brings us abundant life, then we need to prepare to run. How many of y'all didn't run for a long time and all of a sudden you say, I'm going to run three miles today? How did that go? Well, in your pride, you probably finished, but in your physical lack of stamina, you probably were not moving for the next week, right? And the scripture says that we need to prepare to run. How do we do that? Scripture says that we are to lay aside. That means to strip everything off that hinders us. And that's what the athlete would do in Greek culture. They would want to strip everything off, get down to the bare necessities in order for them to run the race, the marathon race, without hindrance. And the scripture says every weight. The word every is important. We can't pick and choose, right? We can't pick and choose the things that we want to hold on to. The scripture says every weight, and the word weight expresses to us that the things that we need to get rid of in life, distractions in life, they're not always sinful. Think about the good things in your life that weigh us down. We overcommit a lot. And the scripture says every weight needs to be laid aside. The word endurance means steady determination. It means the ability not to surrender under excruciating circumstances. And that's the word race. The word race is where we get our English word uh, agony from. And have you not experienced that in life? That the life that we live, the life that God has called and equipped us for, is not necessarily easy life. It's a life that requires great agony, struggle. Struggles that come from the inside, struggles that come from the outside, right? But notice where our focus is. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, he is the chief example of our faith, and he is the completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Man, we have an awesome Savior, do we not? His obedience to his Father was motivated by the joy that it brought him. Do you love and cherish your Savior like that? Do you truly cherish and love your Savior like that? Don't miss what the psalmist said in verse 32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. So in Psalm 119, verse 18, it says, open my eyes. Now the psalmist says, enlarge my heart. Lord, enlarge my heart for more of you. Lord, grow my capacity to love you and cherish you. Let the affections of my day be you. And this is what the psalmist is leaning on. 
He's saying, Lord, I need you to revive me. I need you to teach me. I need you to make me understand. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to remove from me my false ways. That's the work of God's grace for his people. Lord, enlarge our hearts to the beauty of your gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ that brings dead to life and to the captives, he sets them free. Only God can do that. Enlarge our hearts. Paul says in Philippians 3, these words, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am I already uh, perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. In other words, Paul's not saying, I don't want to ever look back in the past, but what he's saying is, I'm not going to let the past define me, right? I'm not going to let the past hinder me from what God has for me today. I press on toward the goal for the prize of that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, when we are bound to the things of this world, we will be enslaved. But when we are bound to the things of Christ, we are set free. We are running free in the Lord. Think about where the psalmist has brought us. When we think about the door of influence in our life, he's brought us to a place of honest confession. Everything laid out before the Lord. And what is his plea? Lord, revive me again. Revive me again. Then there's a desire to change. Lord, give me a change in my understanding. Give me a change in my place of strength. Give me a change in the way that I live. There's a renewed commitment. I have chosen, I have set, and I cling to. And the result of that is what? Freedom and life. I will run, enlarge my Where are you at this morning? In honesty, where are you continually opening the door to the things of this world? You can't continually open your life to the things of this world and and expect a different outcome, right? Let there be honest confession. Think about your relationships. Think about your work habits. Think about uh, how you go about life. Listen, there's a reason why we have front doors on our house, right? We are choosing what to keep out, and what to keep in. Let the word of God be the door of your life. And where God has exposed places in your life, where he has revealed places in your life that are leaning towards the influence of the world, have honest confession. Why? You, can, you have full assurance that he will answer you, right? He's not going to stop responding to your text messages, right? No, he's going to answer you time and time again. He is a gracious father. Is there a desire to change? If there is no desire for you to change, guess what? You're not going to ask for understanding. You're not going to ask for renewed strength. You're not going to ask for right living. But when you choose to desire change, then there will be renewed commitment. Lord, I desire to follow you. I desire to, to cling to you. And there is a life of great freedom. Do you want to run free today? Do you want to live free today? It's found in one place found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever your decision is today,